All right. Give it up for Jim one last time as they make their way out. I know a lot of us in here don't get to see Jim very often as he's over there with the children's help, uh, helping out with a very vital aspect of us being able to worship together. But I love any opportunity we get to, to bring him in here and bring some of the kids in and, and get some of that multi-generational feel to our church services. So just in case you didn't catch where the fruit of the Spirit are, let's read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 to refresh our memories about the fruit of the Spirit before we dive into this series together. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 is where we find this list of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us here, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I brought with me a pack of fruit gushers this morning, and just bringing out this pack probably brings feelings of nostalgia to many of you in this room. I remember as a kid loving to eat these things after a ball game or some similar event. And if you can, uh, travel back with me to the very first time that you ever opened up one of these things and popped one into your mouth, okay? Think back to that very first time, whether it's as a, as a kid or maybe as an adult, Okay? It kind of shocked you as you put one of these into your mouth, bit into it, and experienced for the very first time this explosion of fruit flavor in your mouth. Yeah. Um, so, sadly, as we think about this in, in light of the fruit of the Spirit listed here in Galatians, our experience may be quite different. For some of us in this room, this may actually be a very fitting description of your salvation experience. When you first surrendered your life over to the Lord... Your life may have burst forth, much like this fruit gusher does in our mouth, as you experience for the first time, or maybe experience things like peace, like love, like joy, like kindness, and so forth, in a way that you never have before in your life. For others, your salvation experience may have been much different, where from the very beginning, displaying the fruit of the Spirit has been a struggle. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, no matter what your initial salvation experience was like, when we look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, we realize that some of these may come more easily for us than others do. Some of these may feel more like a battle to display in our lives than something that explodes from us. As we just think through this list, love, joy, peace, patience, some of those you might be thinking, ah, oh, man, I, I do a pretty good job with that. I, I think I've got that one under control. Whereas others, you might be, oof, let's not talk about that. that that's, a, that's a struggle for me. This morning, I simply want to introduce this passage to us by looking at it within the context of what Paul is saying throughout the rest of the book, and more specifically in chapter 5, leading up to this passage. And then Pastor Allen will be, will be diving into the specifics of these fruit of the Spirit and listed here in Galatians 5, and how they all impact and affect our lives in our pursuit of Christ. And I'll be doing that over the course of the next several weeks. So looking at the, the book of Galatians, kind of as a whole, they got six chapters here. This letter, this is a, a letter written by Paul to a group of believers in the region of Galatia. Probably to several different churches within that region. And these believers have had outsiders come in and teach them what Paul calls a non-gospel. Basically, those who have distorted the gospel or the good news of Christ. 
So Paul is writing a response to these believers in light of, of the influence they received from these outsiders and the dangers of adherence to the Old Testament law. You see, these outsiders uh, were coming in and telling these basically relatively new believers that they had to maintain the Old Testament laws, specifically circumcision, in order to be saved. Now, Paul, throughout this letter, he correlates the law with slavery. So he links these two ideas together, the law and slavery. He kind of links these two together throughout this book. And he specifically speaks out against legalism, that being uh, trying to find salvation in something other than the sacrifice and the atonement of Jesus' death on the cross. That's a, a working definition of legalism for us, the one that, that Paul is attacking uh, throughout this letter. And Paul is making it clear that any time we try to make ourselves right before God based on what we do, this is a non-gospel. Our salvation is not based on the work that we do to inherit or earn our own salvation, but instead is based on the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished once and for all on the cross of Calvary. So when we get to chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul has kind of already laid the groundwork that adhering to the Old Testament law is a form of slavery. And he begins chapter 5 by reminding the Galatians that freedom is in Christ, and they should not return again to a yoke of slavery. Let's look at that together. Chapter 5, verse 1, he opens up this chapter by saying this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then the next few verses, verses 2 through 6, he talks about this idea that this freedom offered in Christ frees them from the need for circumcision, but also frees them to do the works of Christ, which are rooted in love. So this freedom, it frees them from the need to follow the Old Testament law for salvation, and also frees them more specifically from the need of, of circumcision, but also frees them to do what Christ has commanded us to do. And he kind of sums that up in verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And we skip down a few verses. In verses 13 through 15, Paul begins to draw a contrast between what freedom in Christ looks like compared to what the slavery of sin looks like. Let's look at that together. We're starting in verse 13. He tells us this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gives an example of what it looks like when we don't love our neighbors with a Christ-like love. We see that in verse 15 here. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right, so all this brings us to our passage where we find the fruit of the Spirit listed. But before diving into what the fruit of the Spirit actually are, Paul provides for us a contrast in which he he correlates freedom with life in the Spirit. So he links freedom with life in the Spirit and correlates slavery to the law with our flesh. So slavery to the law linked with our flesh. Freedom is linked with the Spirit. And he makes a jump here, and I think it's important 
that we don't miss this jump that he makes. Because up until now, throughout the whole letter to the Galatians, the, the previous four and a half chapters, he's been correlating freedom with the gospel, putting those two together, linking those two together, and linking slavery with the law. And now he jumps to freedom correlating with life in the spirit and slavery to the law with the desires of our flesh. Let's look at that together. Verses 16 through 18. This is our passage that kind of leads up to the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We get a glimpse of an opposition going on here, or, or battle, between the flesh and the Spirit, kind of battling against each other. Timothy Keller labels the main idea of this passage by saying, we grow as we battle. And I think that is an accurate description of what Paul is trying to communicate to us here in this passage. Our spirit is battling against our flesh. And through this process, we grow in Christ-likeness. We grow in our faith, and we grow in our freedom. Let me ask a question. Do we have any gardeners in here? Anybody who's attempted to, to plant a garden, raise a garden, thought about raising a garden? Let me, let me see raise of hands. Anybody who's uh, tried doing a garden, um, is currently trying to do a garden, has done it in the past, maybe is considering doing it? We got a few people, okay? For Mother's Day, I got a few months actually before Mother's Day, um, I recently made uh, summer some raised garden beds so we could try our hand at growing our own produce. Uh, so we put some boards together. Uh, we don't really know what we're doing. Um, but we threw some boards together and filled them up with dirt and planted some seeds in there. And here you see a picture of, of our raised garden beds here. Um, see my, my handiwork there with the wood. Um, Dave Battisti, you better watch out. I'm, I'm coming for you with my uh, craftsmanship with woodworking. Yeah, so there's our three raised garden beds. Um, we've been more successful with some crops and less successful with others, but we're still new and kind of figuring this out. The next picture here is our little uh, uh, garden helper. Uh, she loves getting out there with Mommy and helping out in the garden. Um, she's, uh, she's sometimes more helpful than others. Um, just depends on, but she, she does love being out there, and we love having her out there, and so... It is a joyful time to, to do that together as a family. Um, so far, we've had a successful batch of spinach um, and are currently awaiting the results of the rest of our produce. Now, for those of you who are gardeners or attempted gardeners like us, you realize there's a lot of hard work that goes into growing a garden. You've got to, first of all, build the garden beds, um, uh, drill in the, the screws and slap the boards together and whatnot, and then you got to fill those boxes with dirt. And then you got to figure out ways to enrich that dirt so that your plants can thrive. And then you got to plant the seeds, um, plant them the right depth and the right distance from each other. Um, and then water those seeds and fight back the weeds that somehow always tend to find a way up, no matter what you do to uh, work against the weeds. And then, even then, after all that work, you sometimes still don't get a desired result. Gardening is delightful. Now, we're, we're really, we are enjoying it, but uh, it do, definitely does take a lot of hard work. 
Now let's say we actually did everything right, and we're able to sit down at the dinner table to eat from the produce of our garden. So we're sitting there, and we got our plate full of uh, fresh vegetables and fruit that we got from our garden, and are able to have a nice, delightful meal out of that. Could we actually honestly say that we were the ones who produced the vegetables and the fruit that we were consuming? Well, no, not really. Because there, at the end of the day, there are factors necessary to produce a thriving garden that are outside of our control. Factors like the temperature. It has to be within a certain range of temperature for the, uh, for the certain plants to survive. We had a scare with our spinach plants when we planted those because shortly after we planted them, there was a cold snap that came through and it withered many of our spinach plants, and we thought they were goners. Uh, luckily, they weren't. We actually had a, a great produce from our spinach, got several meals out of those, um, but temperature was definitely a factor in there. Um, factors like the sun and the amount of sunshine that they get. Uh, factors like the plant itself kind of struggling through the seed and going up through the, the darkness of the dirt to, to reach the sunlight and, and be exposed and continue to th thrive and, and grow as it, as it goes towards the sunlight. All these are external factors that are vital for the growth of our garden. So in order to produce the garden, it takes work on our part. Without us putting together those boxes, without us throwing the dirt in, planting the seeds, there will be no garden. But even after all that, there are factors outside of our control that are necessary to have a healthy garden, such as the temperature and the sunlight and the other things that I mentioned. But even on top of that, there are these things called garden predators. Now, luckily, we don't have any garden predators yet. We do have a, a bunny that's kind of hopping around in our yard, and he, I guess she, um, just recently had babies, so there's little baby bunnies hopping around that we're afraid at some point will become predators, but so far they have not. At least we not, haven't seen any evidence of being, them being predators to our garden. But I, do, I have a brother in Christ who, who was really into gardening at one time, and he tells this great story about how several years ago, he walked out to check on his garden and found that the fence around his garden had been trampled by some type of large animal, and some of the produce had been eaten from. So for several days, he and his wife discussed and speculated kind of what, what type of large animal this could possibly be and what they should do about it. Well, a few days later, his wife goes out to check the garden and lets out a loud scream of terror. And as he runs out there, he sees a large, brown, free animal escaping into the woods near his house, but wasn't really able to get a great look at what the animal was. So after calming down, they, they go back inside and begin searching the internet for uh, animals that kind of resembled what they saw, and they were able to enable, uh, narrow it down to a few different possibilities. Well, the next morning, he goes out to check on the garden himself, uh, probably because his wife was still in shock from the previous encounter of the last day. But um, he goes out there, and as he approaches the garden, a head pops up from the garden and locks eyes with him. And man, it's on. This epic death stare between man and beast. But my friend didn't come unarmed this time. He brought a rake with him. And after a few seconds of this like epic stare going on between him and this beast, he raises his rake in the air and charges and lets out a loud scream. Well, the animal escapes, 
But my friend at least gets a good look at what it was and eventually was able to determine that it was a woodchuck, a large, fat woodchuck, probably fat from all the produce he'd been stealing from my friend's garden. Um, anyway, eventually they were able to set out a trap for this woodchuck and capture it and then eat it that night for dinner. No, I'm just kidding. He is a huge animal lover, so yeah, he, he took it uh, a few miles from his house and set it free in some, some field. If it would have been me, on the other hand, I would have at least been tempted to try eating the woodchuck. In fact, uh, sorry, this is a side tangent, but Kirk and I, while we were in Ecuador recently, we got to eat some kui kui. Does anybody know what kui kui is, other than my students whom I've told already? Kui kui is an Ecuadorian delicacy. It is guinea pig. So, sorry for any guinea pig lovers out there. We ate one of your friends. Apology. Sorry, not sorry. Anyway, that's a side tangent. That's not related at all to the message. Sorry. All right. So, not only does producing a fruitful garden require hard work on our part, and not only does it also require favorable factors outside of our control to produce a fruitful garden, there are also these predators who are constantly wanting to steal your vegetables and fruit from you. So what does this all have to do with this passage in Galatians 5 where we see the fruit of the Spirit listed? Well, I want to I point us to two different verb phrases used here in these verses that I think are crucial or at least very insightful for understanding how to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So let's look at Galatians 5, verse 16 through 18 is the, the verses we're looking at right now. And we, we see that at the beginning of verse 16... Paul tells us, let's look at that, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Remember, Paul, like all of Scripture, is being carried along by the Holy Spirit while he is writing this. That's the way Peter puts it in 2 Peter 1.21. We're carried along by the Holy Spirit as they write Scripture. So the very words that Paul chooses to use here are intentionally precise. All right. For any English teachers in here, I'm about to go like full nerd on the verb construction here. So this is for you, all right? Paul chooses to use an active imperative verb here with the word walk, indicating that this is a command for us to actively do. Anyone who has been actively walking with the Lord for any extended period of time knows that it takes work. It takes effort. Very much like being a successful gardener takes work. The same is true for our spiritual lives. We do not grow in our walk with God without practicing what we sometimes call the spiritual disciplines. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship, etc. There's a a long list of, of spiritual disciplines. And just as I have to actively build a garden and uh, place in the dirt and then plant the seed in order to have edible produce, so too do I have to discipline myself to pray without ceasing, to study God's word on a daily basis in order to grow and apply it to my life, to sharpen myself alongside of my brothers and sisters in Christ in community and fellowship. But in verse 18, so we see that in verse 16, this this active imperative verb used here, walk by the Spirit. Two verses later in verse 18, Paul uses a similar phrase in regards to the Spirit when he says this. Look at verse 18 with me. But if you are led by the Spirit, a little bit different than walk by the Spirit. Here he uses an indicative 
passive verb with the words are led, indicating that this is something that happens to us as we passively allow it to happen. This carries a, a much, much different idea than an active command for us to do. I think Paul is showing us here that the answer to how we continually grow in our spiritual lives is a both and, not an either or. Let me explain that real quick. We cannot cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives through human effort alone. On the other hand, we cannot expect God to cultivate spiritual fruit in our lives while we sit back and do nothing. You see, anytime we get too focused on our own efforts to live righteously before God, we are on dangerous ground. And likewise, anytime we become too focused on expecting the finished work of Christ to sanctify us regardless of our laziness, we are equally on dangerous ground. It's a both and, not an either or. The end goal of every believer is conformity into the image of Christ. This transformation, this ability to live according to the Spirit, comes from both actively working on things such as the spiritual disciplines, as well as remembering that ultimately it is not dependent upon how much time we spend doing these things, but is a miraculous work of the Spirit in our lives as we do these things. And just as it takes both my hard work as a gardener to produce a good garden and the passive work of the sun and the plants themselves to produce that fruitful garden, so it also takes both active work on our part and a, and a passive submissiveness to the Spirit's work in our lives to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So he talks about this, this battle between the flesh and the Spirit that's going on in verses 16 through 18. And so he's, uh, then he goes on to kind of list what these uh, works of the flesh are. And that's what he does in verses 19 through 21. Look at verse 19 through 21 with me. He goes on to list these works of the flesh. What are these works of the flesh? Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not an exhaustive list. You can see that by what he says there, uh, kind of in the middle of that passage, uh, by saying, and things like these. This is not to meant to be an exhaustive list to where we can just kind of go through this list and check it off and be like, oh, okay, I got that one covered, I got that one covered. I'm not doing that. Okay, I must be, I must be right with God and uh, not hindered at all from, from my growth in Christ's likeness. No, that's not the purpose of this list. But if your life is characterized by these things, you are not actively walking by the Spirit, which we see in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. And neither are you passively being led by the Spirit, we see in verse 18. If you are not actively fighting to put to death these works of the flesh in your life, then you may need to ask whether you have the Spirit living in you in the first place. For it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives that we can battle against these fleshly desires. And through that battle, continue to grow in our Christ-likeness. As the Puritan pastor John Owen uh, from the 1600s put it, he says, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. 
And this happens both through our active efforts to walk by the Spirit and our passive submissiveness to the Spirit conforming us and moving us in a Christ-like direction. But thankfully, Paul doesn't end this passage here. It's not all negative, and there's a better way to live, a better way that we can all live through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, a way that our life can be marked by the Spirit of Christ himself, and these are called the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at that again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And the only thing I want to point out about these fruit of the Spirit before Pastor Alan dives into each of these over the next several weeks is that the word fruit here is singular, not plural. This may seem obvious, but, but many times we are tempted to refer to these as fruits of the Spirit, simply because there's many fruit listed. And so grammatically in our English language, it seems logical to say fruits of the Spirit instead of fruit of the Spirit. But I think this is important. I think going back to uh, Paul himself being carried along by the Holy Spirit as he's writing this, he is intentionally precise with every single word that he chooses to use here. And when you look at the original Greek, it's intentionally singular. Okay? I think it's important because it points us to an important truth. These fruit come only through the power of Christ working within us. I think Paul is intentionally connecting us to what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Let's take a look at that passage real quickly to better see this connection. John chapter 15, verses 2 through 5. Jesus is talking here and he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Notice the multiple uses of the word fruit here. The singular use of the word fruit that Jesus is talking about here. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Just the branch has no ability to bear fruit in and of itself unless it is connected to the tree. We have no ability to bear this fruit of the Spirit unless we are abiding in Christ. The branch has no fruit-bearing fruit ability when it disconnects from the tree. Just as, just as we have no ability to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit within our lives when we are disconnected from Christ. The Spirit of Christ is the one who produces this fruit within us. It has nothing to do with our own fleshly ability to, to be patient or to be kind or to have joy. It's not like we, we kind of uh, muster up our strength and conjure up these fruit within us. No, this has to do with staying connected to Christ, the fruit giver who produces these things within us. Christ has each of these abilities to their fullest extent and can produce each of these within us when we are connected to him. And Paul seems to point us in this direction in the following verse. Go back to, go back to Galatians chapter 5. 
And as we look there together, we see in the very next verse, verse 24, Galatians 5, 24, Paul says, And those who belong to, Jesus, to, to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul himself connects this battle between our flesh and our spirit with Christ. This battle that's going on between flesh and spirit is connected to Christ. And it is only through Christ that we, as John Owen put it, can be killing sin and keep sin from killing us. It is only through Christ that we can display the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. So as we begin to wrap up our time together this morning, we need to ask ourselves, what is our life more closely characterized by? He lists these works of the flesh. He lists these fruit of the Spirit. Which one resembles our life more closely? And if your life is not characterized by these fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists here, then why is that so? It all begins with a personal, ongoing relationship with Christ. Without being connected to Christ, we do not have the ability to produce this fruit of the Spirit within us. And if you do have a personal, ongoing relationship with Christ, are you staying connected to Him daily so that you can continually produce these fruit so that he can continually produce these fruit within you. This is a battle. And the purpose for why we should choose to engage in this battle every single day is this. The fruit of the Spirit can flow in us from the presence of the Holy Spirit and then flow out of us for the advancement of the gospel and the glory of God. I want you to see that and focus on that because that's kind of the main driving force for this whole series and you'll, you'll be seeing this several times over the next several weeks, that this is the main point that we want you guys to capture as we look at the fruit of the Spirit together. The fruit of the Spirit can flow in us from the presence of the Holy Spirit by staying connected to Christ, and then the next step is to flow out of us for the advancement of the gospel and the glory of God. And just as it takes hard work to produce a fruitful garden, It takes intentional effort to stay connected to Christ in order to produce these fruit of the Spirit. Just as it takes, just as the seed has to battle through the darkness and the weight of the dirt in order to experience and connect to the rays of the sun, we have to battle through the darkness and the weight of our sinful fleshly desires in order to connect to the Son, Jesus Christ. And just as the gardener has to battle the predators who come to steal the produce of the garden, we also have an adversary who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy our fruit, our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So my question is, will we be vigilant in our battle to produce the fruit of the Spirit of Christ living within us? As we transition to a time of response now, I want to provide an opportunity for you to respond to however the Spirit is speaking to you. 
my hope and my prayer is that the Spirit has been speaking directly to your heart and to your mind during this time together. And we want to provide for you an opportunity to respond on however the Spirit's leading. The Spirit is going to be speaking to each one of us differently. And whether that looks like, and whether appropriate response looks like staying in your seat or maybe kneeling there at the pew or coming down here and spending some time in prayer at the altar or, or maybe coming and talking to me about uh, what the Spirit's doing in your life and, and what He's telling you to do. I, I would love to talk with you more about that and pray with you through that. However you feel the need to respond, we want to provide the opportunity for that this morning and allow you to do so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that ultimately you have not called us to produce these fruit in and of ourselves, Lord, but that you have already provided all the ability and power to do so through the power of your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, when we stay connected to you and to your Son, Jesus Christ, we have the uh, ability to produce joy that's everlasting, a love that knows no end, a peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, a kindness that extends to the least of these, Lord. And every single one of these fruit, we have the ability to produce to their fullest extent, as your son demonstrated while he, he was here on earth, Father. Lord, I pray that each of us will respond to how the Spirit is guiding us to respond. Lord, whether that looks like surrendering our life over to Christ, so that we can begin this journey with you and begin uh, be, being connected with you and produce these fruit of the Spirit, or, or whether it uh, has to do with being reconnected with you in, in a new and vitalized way, Lord, we pray that we would be obedient to however your Spirit is directing and guiding us this morning. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.